name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us ready to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us. And there's not temptation, but some evil one. Grace you so, Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm surprised there's anyone here at all because I'm aware that it is exam time. Um, so, um, may God increase your bounty. All right. Um, we will start with reading the chapter, which should be familiar to everybody, not just because they read the Bible, but because there's also the, the reading for Lent just a couple of weeks ago um, on Sunday. So we'll through, go through it and then we'll or read it and then we'll go through it. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, weird as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asks a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For you Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father is worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but none said, what do you wish? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
they went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples begged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him food? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? If I, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see how the fields are already white for harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. After, the two, days had, after two days, he departed to Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee and where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was living. So he asked them the hour when he began to mend. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. Glory be to God, prayer brother. Okie dokie. Um, so there's going to be a lot to go through here. Um, and I hope I don't go over time. So we'll get through. So let me, I'm just trying to organize myself and get my notes. Um, so I'm going to put up a picture. Okay, um, before we look at the, the, this map in a second, um, the first two verses I think are interesting. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees heard that Jesus making baptizing more disciples, although there's this parenthesis, Jesus didn't baptize his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. I, I'm, I'm zooming in just because sometimes I think we take for granted these random things that get said in passing or quote unquote random. Um, because this one is very is very telling because the Bible gives us a lot to live from. Um, and I'm saying it because it's very clear that there's a conflict going on, right? Because this conflict is, is, is clearly part of the reason that the Lord leaves, right? It says that this is going on and therefore he left Judea and departs again to Galilee. Um, and it seems that the Pharisees are upset about the baptisms that the Lord is doing. Um, this might be around the time where John uh, the Baptist gets um, arrested. We're not sure. Um, and these baptisms 
that are going on at this point, this is not the ritual that we perform today. This is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so that means that the service that the Lord is doing that's upsetting them is actually a normal service. And yet they're clearly upset or they wouldn't want him to leave. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm zooming in on this or, or, or pointing it out because um, different things from the Bible we might relate to at different times, right? And so it seems that the Lord's service is annoying the leaders. And I think this might, unfortunately, be a common problem um, in service and in, and in our lives. But instead of pointing at others and when they do it, think of yourself. How often do we get mad when someone gets attention for something good that they're doing? Right? And how often do we try and discredit the people who are doing good? I think we've all probably fallen into that at some point, right? Maybe there's a servant who's doing a lot of work, and so other servants discredit it. Oh, he's just doing that for attention. She's really showy, but she doesn't really know what she's talking about. He's doing it because he wants to be a big shot or get attention or become a priest. We, we, we're very quick sometimes to discredit the good that people are doing. Um, I know in, in monastic culture um, in Egypt, um, sometimes if, 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 uh, if a monk published, they'd be like, oh, they want to get noticed so they can go out for service, right? Or that they make the Pope's radar. Um, and it might not be among servants, right? I'm using service as an example, but it could be how you feel about a rising star at work um, or at school um, or a relative in your family. And so how sad if it's my jealousy or jealousy that causes somebody's somebody to leave or to stop the service that they're doing. We need to be very careful that we're that we're not doing that. But in the context of the story, it's setting an important backdrop that's consistent with the whole theme of this gospel. From the prologue, he came to his own, and his own received him not. And this is particularly relevant to this chapter because he's about to go through an area that is not his own um, in the cultural sense and in the history of the economy of man, because he's about to go through Samaria. And so verse four says he had to pass through Samaria and he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. So this is why I put up the map. So if you look at the map, the very bottom right in Perea, 15, is the number that's there. I don't think you guys can see my cursor, um, but it's the bottom... Um, uh, uh, right corner where the 15 is. That's where the Lord was. He was in that area and in the whole Judea area. So that whole bottom region. And he's going to go back up to Galilee, which is the top left underneath Phoenicia. Okay. With the Sea of Galilee being right in the middle, which is, I, I think it's important because sometimes people don't bother to look at maps. And so they don't know what things happen. So for example, if you look at the Sea of Galilee, I'm going to digress for a second. When when the people are following him, so when he does the feeding of the multitudes, and then there's that story in Luke where he crosses the sea, and the people are waiting for him at the other side, it's because they've, if you look at that sea, sorry, I keep on using my cursor, forgetting you can't see it. They've walked around it and come to the other side. And Garasa, where number 10 is, that's where he casts out the, the demoniac. Um, so they're slower to get there. But these things help you understand why things are described as they, as they were. 
But if you go back down here, the reason I'm showing this map is that it's saying that Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. If we're speaking geographically, okay? Because if you look in the middle of Samaria there, where it's marked as Sychar and Mount Gerizim, there's a 16 there, okay? Actually, if the Lord is going up to Galilee, it would have been easy for him to just take this valley in the middle, right there, this where that where that where the Jordan is coming from the Dead Sea up to the Sea of Galilee. That would have been the easiest, not to have to go through Samaria. Okay, and so the reason why I'm pointing that out is that when 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 the gospel is telling us the Lord had to pass through Samaria, it's not because he geographically had to pass through Samaria. It's because he had work to do. He had to because there was something he wanted to get accomplished. Um, and it's beautiful to see that God viewed it as, as, as compulsion um, that he needed to, to do that. Um, sorry, there's a, a question of what service was being done that was bad. Um, it seems that his baptisms that his disciples were doing might have been upsetting the people. And that caused him to go. So I just saw that. Um, so this well that's being set up, um, like in the scene, comes to Sarah, Samaria called to this well at Sychar, where Jacob had given that well to Joseph. This is referring to Genesis 33. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he come, and he came before the city and from the sons of Hamor. Etc. 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 And he had this land, um, and Jacob's well was there, and so the Lord, being weird as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, this reference to Jacob is a is a is an important one because um, we're gonna we're gonna explain the Samaritans in, in a second, but because Jacob is a common answer to the Jews and the Samaritans. And if you will, take Jacob as a symbol of the Old Testament, right? Because Jacob is one who gets called Israel, and the people of Israel um, are the big deal people, right? These are the people of the promise. And it says that Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, weird as he was, his journey sat down beside the well, and it was about noon. So I want you to envision this, that... Christ is literally sitting on the edge of this well, and he's exhausted, okay? He's been walking for a long time, and he comes to a stop, and he's here for a purpose. He had must needs go through Samaria. And he's gone out of his way, fatiguing himself just to come seeking this woman that he's about to see, walking this long distance into a territory that's not pleasant. It's scorching hot, okay? Because this is the time of day when everybody goes for their siesta because it's hot. This is not the time of day you go to the well. That's why no one's there. And that's also most likely why the Samaritan woman is coming at that time, as we'll get into. Okay? Um, because chores usually get done in the morning or evening. They're not done at noon. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to digress for a second. I can't help but wonder, especially in the Gospel of John, where the hour of glory is the crucifixion, that the Lord is coming to the well thirsty at noon. I wonder if there's a parallel um, to the Lord's crucifixion at noon, where the Lord at, at, at noon, at the sixth hour, also says, 
I thirst, right? And so there may be this tying of um, the Lord's work being done that we're going to see later on in this chapter with the crucifixion, right? And that God's work is not the same as human work. Um, it really seems like there might be this foreshadowing, but that's just a, a meditation. Now, before we get into this, we need to explain Samaritans briefly, because I want to say that this story, in this story, Christ breaks every taboo, cultural, social, religious, theological, ritualistic, every single taboo that could be broken, the Lord breaks um, in, in, in this scene. So the Samaritans are the descendants of two groups, right? We take them for granted what a Samaritan is. Um, this, when, when King David reigned, there was one kingdom of Israel, okay? When he died, his, his son Solomon took over. It continued to be one kingdom. But when King Solomon died, there was a civil war and the kingdom broke into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, okay? The southern kingdom was Judea, the capital is Jerusalem. The northern kingdom was Israel, the capital was Samaria. They all had the same beliefs, but it was a divided kingdom. After the Jews were taken off captive to Babylon, there was a remnant um, that remained of the Israelites that were not dispersed into foreign countries. Now, foreign colonists from, Bab from Babylon and from the Assyrians went and occupied Israel. And some of these people married the locals from Samaria. And so this was seen as total treachery, okay? Because now, not only did they, did, did they not join their brothers in the exile, but they married literally the enemy, right? And they had offspring from them. Now, to add insult to injury, after Daniel and the story of Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah, when they go back, when they're going to rebuild the kingdom, the Samaritans actually get in the way of the Jews of doing that. They oppose them. And so they were seen as totally treacherous people. And the Samaritans over time set up as their center rather than Jerusalem, um, became Samaria to remain the center of worship. And rather than Jerusalem being the capital religious, Mount Gerizim, where this conversation is happening, um, it became the place of worship for the Samaritans. So the end result is that it's almost like, forgive me for using this as an analogy, I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes the, the Eastern Orthodox hate us more than they hate Protestants. Um, and it's almost like there's, there's a bigger rivalry going on because these were, these were siblings, right? These were siblings that are fighting. And so there's a bigger treachery to it than there is of even a Gentile. So the Jews considered the Samaritans filthy, scum, literally, that if you touched them, if you were near them, you were defiled. And so Jews didn't go through Samaria if they could avoid it. Right. That was not that was not a thing. That's why even when the Lord wants to give a story of loving your enemies, instead of telling a story of a Gentile, 
right, of a Roman soldier picking up a Jew on the way. He tells this story of a Samaritan um, picking him up on the way, right? So this is a big deal. They hate each other. And it's complete um, disgustingness is what they is what they feel. Okay, so this is this is the backdrop of like when our Lord says He has to go through Samaria. No, He didn't. Okay, now there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus breaks all taboos even further, and He says to a woman, first of all, He's in Samaria. Second, He's now with a woman. That's taboo. Pub, pub, with a woman publicly, one on one. And, not of, and of all women, a Samaritan woman. And as we're going to find out, not just any woman, a sinner woman. And he says, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. I can't help but wonder, personally, if the disciples went off to find food to avoid this whole situation. Right? Where this is like, uh, this is not where we should be. Don't know. But... The Samaritan woman herself is in shock at the Lord being there and asking her for water that she says, uh, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan? I'm a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. We're like, do you realize what's going on here? Like, because if, even she's saying this isn't, this doesn't make sense. Okay. Now, Jews considered Samaritans in a permanent state of ritual impurity, right? So, for example, if a woman was having her period, she was ritually unclean in the period that she has her period, and that's it. To the Jews, the Samaritans were considered unclean by virtue of their birth, and they couldn't become unclean unless they became Jews, okay? And so this is a, this is, there's a cultural thing going on at this time, right? And so... The Lord is going to be referencing scripture. I'm just going to digress again to this whole Samaritan issue. Forgive me, I'm a little disorganized. But the Samaritans rejected all scripture, okay, other than the Torah, other than the five books of the law. They rejected the writings and they rejected the prophecies, especially because so many of those were anti-Samaria. So they only were okay with the first five books, okay? Anything outside of that, was not part of their, their scripture, which we're going to come to in, in, a, in a second. Um, and so when the Samaritan woman is saying Jews don't associate with us, it's now not just because they don't associate with each other nationalistically, okay, but even to touch the drinking vessels, to say give me a drink means give me that pot, that would have been seen as unclean. And so the, there's so much going on here, right? Just so you know, like, just how extreme this was. I'm sorry to, to belabor this point. I just think we don't get it today. Samaritans were thought to convey their uncleanness by anything they laid on, sat upon, rode on, their saliva, their urine. And I'm talking about these are in, 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 in Jewish textual books, Okay. So this isn't just like, a, oh, we don't like them. This is like, a, oh, no, you stay, like, stay away from me. Don't touch. Um, so you've got these cultural things going on, these ritual things going on about uncleanness. And then apart from these ethnic things, in general, men aren't going to have theological conversations with women. That's not a thing which the Lord is about to do. 
Okay. And so it's just so compelling for us to realize just how much the Lord is breaking these barriers in his specific outreach of this one woman. Because the Lord's answer to her is, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay? Now, Jacob's well is dead water. And, and we're going to get into the spiritual meaning of that in a second. But for now, we're talking about non-moving water, right? Well water is, is water that just sits there. Fountains, springs, those are better sources of water. They're cleaner because the water is moving, right? So when the Lord is saying, I would have given you living water, he's talking about water that moves. That's even why, for example, in the ritual of baptism, because the font is supposed to be one of living water, that's why Abuna takes the cross and he starts stirring it. It's to give a show that it's supposed to be living water. The spirit of the Lord is upon it, making it living water. Um, in the early church, before they had baptismal fonts, the preference was to baptize people in living water, to go to living streams, living things, not in dead water. So the woman is thinking, oh, you've got a better source than my source? Okay, hook me up. Where is it? But what is this gift that he's talking about? It seems to be he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Some people contemplate among the fathers that the gift is himself. But the water in this cistern is not living. It's dead. It has its dangers. Living water is moving water. And so Jesus is saying, the Lord Jesus is saying, I can give you the real stuff. Right? Again, come back to this thing we've been talking about over and over every week. St. John's Gospel is a lot about, let's not do fake. Let's do real. By the way, anybody willing to turn on their cameras, please go for it, because this is getting really awkward for me. But um, he's saying, you have dead water, <laughs> um, and I want to give you real water, right? And she's thinking, she's thinking material. She's thinking body. She's thinking flesh. Thank you, guys, for those who put it up. Um, and the Lord is going to mean something completely different. But she's now confused. Right, because he's making this promise that seems really dumb to her. Because she says to him, uh, Sir, you don't have anything to get water from. And this well is deep. Like, I don't know what stunt you think you can pull, but you got nothing. I'm the one with the bucket. Where exactly are you thinking you're going to get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? And this is so typical response that we have today where everybody takes everything personally, right? She starts off with a question, but then she gets defensive. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than Jacob? You think you're better than our ancestors? Like it's immediately gone um, personal. And there's no reason for it to be personal. But she says, sir, here, which is the Greek is Kyrie which can mean sir or lord, it seems to me, we don't know, it seems to me that she starts off in the sir version of this word, but that by the end of this chapter, she's seeing him as, as lord, um, as we see the progression of her, of her conversation. The funny part of this question, when she says it as a challenge, what, you think you're better than Jacob? The irony is that the answer is yes. <laughs> Right. She doesn't she doesn't know that yet. 
right? But that's what's funny about it because when we're not seeking truth, we sometimes ask a question sarcastically and then you have this touche moment where you just look dumb, right? Where it's like, oh, um, right? Like, or that like we're going to see later on in the temple, right? When the, when, when the servant of the high priest slaps Jesus, like our Lord across the face and goes, do you know who you're talking to? And it's like, the irony is like, do you, do, do you know who you're talking to actually? Um, and so the answer to her question is, I am. He's going to say that eventually. But the answer that is the name of God. Because yes, I am. And yes, literally, I am. Right? That he is, that he is God. So note again, the Jews and the Samaritans alike, where are they placing their meaning and value? Their heritage. They're finding their meaning in the culture. She appeals to Jacob. So do the Israelites. They're like, do you know who our Giddo is? We the people of Israel. We are the chosen people. And remember the values we talked about in the intro lecture, for those of you who are there, it didn't get recorded. The one about the cultural values and stuff like that. Kinship, family. That's a big deal in Mediterranean culture, right? Till this day, for those who are in there, think about... When, when, when our parents ask, oh, like when, you, when you're when you interested in, 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 in dating someone or marrying someone, right? When they say things like, um, who is their family? Ah, oh, he's from such and such family? Oh, that's a good family, right? They, they label it with, with kinship, right? And so she's appealing to kinship. And the Lord is going to uproot this thinking from them by turning it on its head. Because he's talking about becoming children, but now not what ethnic children you belong to, but restoring sonship to the father. Saying, and she's gonna, and they're gonna get into it or what he means by that. Um, and so he's gonna be saying the source of your identity shouldn't be Samaria or Israel or Judah or Jerusalem. It's going to be by being born again through the spirit. That's why it seems that this gift he's talking about is the spirit and not himself, although they're, they're pretty much the same. But anyway. Um, and so we see in this passage another example of Jewish tradition because she's referred to this being Jacob's well. So the, the Jews, it's really interesting. Like in our church, we have liturgy, we have Bible, and we have patristics and tradition and desert fathers. The Jews have all of these things too. They have their own versions of patristics, they have their own versions of meditations and desert fathers. So they have something called the Targum, okay? Um, and these are some of their reflections, meditations, explanations on, on Jewish culture and tradition. Um, and so it's funny because if you, if you look for a story of Jacob giving a well in the Old Testament, giving specifically a well, you won't find it. There's the story of Jacob giving land, but there's no story of Jacob giving off some well. But you'll find it in the Jewish Targum, which shows you how well-versed the author of this gospel is in Jewish tradition and culture, that they know that there is a real tradition that this well does belong to Jacob, even though it's not written, right? Um, I won't get into the details of, of that, but there's a, there's, if you want this source, there's, I can send it. It's a Targum on, on Genesis 28. Then the Lord says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never thirst, for the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he's saying, not only am I going to give you living water, and I now think this woman is still thinking earthly, right? He's like, I'm just not going to give you living water. I'm going to give you, if you look at the original Greek, a fountain, right? And she's still like, okay, where is this, right? Like, show me this fountain. Um, and, and the Lord is not going there at all. Um, but what's very interesting about the words that the Lord uses here is that this water that's springing forth or, or in Greek leaping up, the Greek word is the movement when you're talking about human beings of jumping. Okay. And it's the only time that this word is being used for water, but this word is used for the spirit over and over and over and over and over. Right. And that's why I'm, I'm drawing attention to this word because Throughout Old and New Testament, this word is often used to talk about the Holy Spirit, not about water. And so it makes it even more certain that God is talking about the Holy Spirit here, right? That this is this thing that's going to cause this bursting forth, this springing up um, action. Um, and that the living water is the Holy Spirit, right? And that's, again, why we link water, baptism, Holy Spirit, all of these things um, together. But the Lord is also linking them to language from the Old Testament that she wouldn't know because she doesn't read Isaiah because she doesn't believe in Isaiah, right? She's a Samaritan, right? But Isaiah has all sorts of references of saying that the, will in him become the Messiah, a supply of water welling up to eternal life. Sorry, that's the John part. Might be reminiscent of drawing waters from the wells of salvation in the last days that Isaiah talks about in, in chapter 12 or the future age of Isaiah where he says in those days they will neither hunger nor thirst right and the Lord is saying you won't be thirsty anymore so why am I bothering to say that it's not like oh cool right is that we often I know I've said this before but I'm going to keep on emphasizing it fulfilling prophecies is a big deal Right. When we talk about Jesus as like like the 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 sorry, the, the cliche wristbands, Jesus is my homeboy, homeboy, Mary's my homegirl. Yeah, cool, whatever. But there's there's something real going on in who the Lord is. If I prophesy something to happen that I can't just think of on my own and I can't make happen, if it comes true, that's a big deal. Right. And the Lord is using this prophetic language over and over and over. Right. And that, again, Isaiah says there will be an everlasting covenant with all of those nations who believe. But Isaiah also says, and the nations who do not know you, the Samaritans, the Gentiles. Right. So there's a lot going on here in these encounters that the Lord is happening. Um, also from Isaiah, come all you are thirsty, come to the waters that your soul may live. Okay, there's, there's like, it's, it's loaded. So the woman is just like, okay, whatever, give me this water, right? Give me this water so that I don't have to be thirsty anymore. And it's clear she's thinking purely earthly because she's like, and then I don't need to come here anymore, right? This is the bonus for her, right? That I don't need to come anymore to draw here. Now, here's what's very interesting is that the Lord is not talking about that. And instead of the Lord just saying, okay, ta-da, or let me tell you what it is. He says, go get your husband and come back. Linking this repentance 
very gentle call to repentance, extremely gentle, right? Because as we'll see in two verses, he knows she ain't married, right? But very gently just says, how about you go get your husband and come back? And this woman, I, I, I love this Samaritan woman. Okay, I love this Samaritan woman because she's bold. She's factual. She's objective. She doesn't mince words. She does not suck up, right? She's in a place in her life where her life sucks enough. And she's like, you know, I don't really care what you think. I'm just going to say it, right? And so she's here alone, most likely already because of what her answer is, I have no husband, right? Where it's easier for her to not have to deal with the townspeople who are judging the heck out of her, right? Because it seems like every group of people, whether they're in the church or out of the church, everyone's judgmental, okay? And so she's like, I'll deal with it. I just won't go with them. So she says, I have no husband. And this is very bold, right? Like this is, this is a bold thing to say, right? Imagine, imagine meeting someone from church and people, and they're like, so how are things going? And you're like, great, I'm in rehab. Um, and um, the kid that I had, I, I, like, with, with my, my ex-girlfriend is, is, is struggling, pray for him, right? You just invited all the gossip, right? Like, he's in rehab, right? And, like, and he just went blank, like, like people don't talk about that, right? They're going to be like, oh, I'm fine, pray for me, right? And so, whereas she's like, I don't have one. Right? And the Lord's response to her is to find the good in what she says. Right? He doesn't be like, yeah, that's right. You harlot. Right? He, he would like factually be saying the truth, right? For lack of a, a different choice word in, in modern English. Um, he doesn't. And he says, good for you. You know what? You're right. You have spoken honestly. And saying you have no husbands. Because you know what? And so this is the beauty of God. God's invitation to repentance isn't to humiliate. Right? Like God could have said, really? What happened? And instead he goes, no, you're right. Actually, you've had five. He does it for her. He accepts this gesture of confession and he finishes it for her. I already know. You don't need to worry. I already know. You've had five husbands and you're living with some guy now. You're in common law, you're cohabiting, you've got a friend with benefits, open, whatever you want to call it. That's what you've got. I know. Now, I want to zoom in for a second on you've had five husbands, because there's a word that I didn't know until I was prepping. Um, I didn't know that. The word for husband or lord or master, which were, they were synonymous is Baal, Baal, which is the name of what we were referring to as people's gods. And that gives it a whole other level of meaning because it's like saying you're married to um, these, what, what, the, what their culture, what the Gentile culture had was five gods. Um, Yusuf has talks about them. And because she's had five husbands, it's like you've been living as the pagans, right? That's one interpretation um, of it. 
that because there's this allegory of, the, of them being outside of the kingdom. Origen, um, I like his meditation. His meditation is the five husbands are the five senses as a meditation. You've been living purely off of your senses. You eat whatever you want, you drink whatever you want, you have sex with whoever you want, right? You live only according to the flesh, which does match the conversation. Because even when he's saying, I've got this water, she's like, give me, right? Um, another meditation that I think originizes to the well of Jacob more, others to the, to the five husbands, is the law, the five books of the law, especially because she's a Samaritan and they only had the law. I was saying, you've been living in the world of the law and I'm about to take you into the world of the spirit, right? So whatever one that you go with, they're all beautiful. They all lead to the same place, right? I was saying, you're not living the freedom of this that comes in the spirit. But what has shocked her, right? Is that here's this God who suddenly says to her, I know you. And remember two chapters ago, there's this verse that says, for the Lord know, knew what was in the hearts of men. And they knew that the only one who knows the insides is God. And the Lord is saying, I already know you. I already know you. Right? And this is not, if you don't want truth, that's uncomfortable. Right? That's very, very uncomfortable when you don't want truth. And so the woman is taken aback and she's so bold. Like she, I, I if it was me, I, I, honestly, I think I'd work, I would have run off. Um, but she stays, she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now I used to laugh at this verse cause I'm like, yeah, no duh. Um, like, 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 what did you think when he tells you stuff that he couldn't know? But now I'm coming to appreciate this a little bit more when I recognize that the Samaritans didn't believe in these other prophets. And they were waiting. I don't know if you guys remember from John 1 and 2 when we talked about the, the prophet to come from Deuteronomy. The Samaritans are waiting for that guy. So for her to say, I think he might be a prophet, that's a really big deal. So I used to be like, no, duh. But now it's like, oh, no, 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 no. She's crossing all of her boundaries and saying, you might actually be from God, even though you're a Jew. Maybe you're the guy that we're waiting for. So this is actually a huge act of faith, not a no-duh moment. She's going right out of her comfort zone. Like to us, imagine in modern day times, imagine if you're sitting with some Muslim or Jew, because we have a common heritage, the, the three Judeo-Christian religions, right? Islam, Christianity, Judaism. We have a core that, that's together, right? And actually this is, a very good parallel between Jews and Muslims, right? So for example, the Jews and, and us believe that Abraham was offering up Isaac, whereas to the to the, the Muslims, it was Ishmael, right? And so this is a very big parallel between the Jews and, Samarit and Samaritans. And so imagine if you're talking to a Jew or a Muslim as a Christian, and then being like, you sound like you're speaking by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's not an easy thing to acknowledge, 
that God could be speaking from someone of another denomination, especially ones that you hate, right? Think of, 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 of some of our parents and the reactions to Muslims, okay? And thinking of one of them, instead of being on pal talk, screaming and yelling, being like, you know what, Muhammad and Tashakla you sound like you're from God there, right? This is what just happened with this woman, right? That's a big deal. Um, and so um, the Lord is about to use a word where he says woman. Um, and I'm gonna like pause on this point because language gets lost, right? Because today woman doesn't sound very polite. Um and especially when it's not followed by somebody's name, right? But this is like, in Shakespearean language, lady, right? Or in modern culture, even though we're even losing this language, it's like saying madam, right? It's, it's the term that denotes respect to somebody you don't know who is of the female persuasion, okay? Whereas today, if you're like lady, it usually sounds rude, right? Or if you're like, yo, woman, like, it, it, it sounds like it's going to be followed with like, get thee to thy kitchen. Okay. But the, the way that is being used is not that, <laughs> right. The way that is being used is actually a term of respect. So he's, when, when he's about to say that, that's where he's going to go. Now she says, okay, I think you're, you might be a prophet, but if that's the case, then we need to talk. Now it's, it's mind blowing to me that two sentences ago, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm sleeping with some guy. And two sentences later, she's like, no, 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 I've got a question. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you guys say that Jerusalem is the place where men have to worship. She gets right into the religious debate. Uh, go ahead, Peter, my bad. So I'm just going to add to what you were saying about uh, Renee. The I can't hear you, Peter. I'm going to put up my volume, but I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're good now. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna add to what you were gonna what you were saying before uh, about the wife. Uh, sorry, the, the lady, the woman, Renee. I just gave away what I was gonna say. Uh, but basically, the, uh, the same word is used in Revelation and in other Greek usage for wife. Mm -hmm. so in comparison, I, maybe you're already going there. I don't know, but it's just uh, the same word for woman can also be used to mean um, wife. Um, for for whoever, so it's a nice what you're saying about the five husband. That's an interesting meditation. No, I wasn't going there, but you're right. But well, I wanted at any rate for everyone to be clear that this woman who's professing the so-called worst of sin is being treated with utmost dignity, not contempt. Right? That he's not. He's not like, oh, you told me of this thing that you did. Oh, listen here, lady. Right? That blacks, like, like contrary-wise, he's saying, he's giving, he's giving her honor. Um, Sorry, I, I completely cut out there. I didn't hear what you said. My bad. Um, no, I was saying that, that, like, I was thanking you for that and saying where I wanted to go with it as well was that he's treating her with dignity, um, rather than with contempt, um, in spite of her confession, right? Which is why when someone tells us, oh, I've messed up, our reaction shouldn't be like, you idiot, right? Or you filthy scumbag, right? It's, it's, if, if the Lord himself, who's the only one that has the authority and the right to judge, didn't, 
right? Then, then, then we ought not to either. Um, so then she gets into like, okay, what is it with this thing? Why are you saying, why are you saying not to? And so now remember the map we had at the beginning, she's on this, the base of this mountain at Sychar where, where Mount Gerizim is. So she says this mountain, she's talking about Gerizim, right? Now, if you read the Samaritan version of the Pentateuch, right? As opposed to the Jewish version, just like when you read an Islamic version versus a Jewish version of a story. In Deuteronomy 27 verse 4, when Joshua instructs them to set up um, a shrine, the verse in our Bibles says, and when you have passed over the Jordan, which you can see from that map, right? They crossed across. Let me, hold on. Let me, let me put this up just for a second again, because it's cool and I want to show it off. Okay. So this Jordan is right here in the center. So when the Jews were passing from the right into the left, Joshua says to them, when you've passed over the Jordan, you're going to set up these stones as concerning which I command you this day. And our Bible say on Mount Ebal and etc. Whereas theirs says Gerizim. Okay. So they're saying scripture says we're supposed to pray here. Uh, Tony, my brother from another mother. <laughs> What's up, Abuna? Okay. Uh, I was wondering, just going back to what Peter said uh, earlier on um, the idea of mother. When Jesus called Saint Mary mother, was that like off of terms? like you were like my 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 God and my Savior at the same time, my son. So, or like, how did it work when like he would call his mother the lady or woman? So actually, um, him calling her woman. Some people struggle with, um, not because it's disrespectful, but it's because it, it doesn't sound like how you would approach your mom. Um, but one of the one of the explanations given, because I can't speak for the, the, the Lord with certainty, but one of the explanations, the one that I find compelling is that the Lord was trying to make a clear boundary between the familial aspect and his mission. Right, where it was like he honors her, like when he says, Woman, the time has not come, which we saw in John 2, right? But he still does what she asks. But it's almost like this intentional um, distancing of saying, But we're not doing the fam jam. That's why later on, for example, in another gospel, when, um, when they say, Look, your mom's over there, right? And he says, Who's my mom? Is it not? And then he expands the sense of family not because he's dishonoring St. Mary at all, right? But to, to, to maybe put this distance between the two. But good question. Thanks. Um, thanks, Amen. So here's something to meditate on because she's asking this question. Her mind is not on, let's talk about how gross I am, right? Which I recommend for people to think about where I think we often focus on our sin a lot. Okay, and, and, and this woman is not caught up in that, and neither is God, right? And the Lord didn't say, hold it, hold it, hold it, lady, literally, before we talk about this theological business that men shouldn't be talking to women about, to bring it back to the cultural thing. Let's first deal with your filthiness and move on. He answers her. Woman, believe me, my lady, madam, believe me, trust me. The hour is coming 
you know, when it's not going to be on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now, this is an interesting thing to happen because this question she's asking is not politically correct, right? Imagine if in your first conversation, actually this happened in, in, in California, Pope Tawadros was coming for his first visit to our diocese, um, the LA diocese. And I was looking at the questions before he, he, he came. We had the, 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 the online thing. And they're all like, gay marriage, abortion, right? Like all this stuff was like, guys, like the guy, the guys, he just got here, right? Like, like we want to go straight for the cutthroat jugular stuff where, you know, like half the room's going to get angry, right? And so she went for it, right? She went for the jugular. Like imagine if our, your first conversation with some guys like, so where do you stand on gay marriage and abortion rights? And it's like, hi, nice to meet you. Um, and whatever you comes out of your mouth right after it, is gonna elicit some dramatic response, right? Or imagine your first time sitting in a room with a Jew and a Muslim and like, so about that Palestine issue, what you guys think, right? That's what she did, right? And so Christ's response is very like ed ed educative or educational to us, right? Where he says, he doesn't avoid it. He's gonna come back to the answer, but he says, before I even, get to that what's coming is that it's not going to be Gerizim this mountain or in Jerusalem but you worship what you don't understand so he he wasn't afraid to be direct either just like she was direct the Lord was direct right back and he says you don't know what you worship but we do Right, And the we, he includes himself among the Jews. And then he makes a bold statement. He doesn't avoid the question. He says it directly. Salvation is from the Jews. And so this is a, a something to note because most of the Gospel of John, whenever they're referring to the Jews, it's always negative. But here it's clearly a positive. Right? Um, and he's including himself in the we, underscoring even more that usually when he's referring to the Jews, he means the leadership. Okay, but salvation of the Jews, why? Because in the whole economy, in the history of salvation, the chosen people, when the world rejected him, were the Jews. The Messiah would come from the Jews. The incarnation would happen through the Jews. The reconciliation, the new covenant, everything happened through the Jews, right? That's why St. Paul, 15 years after this incident, says things like, don't forget the Jews are the tree and you guys are grafted on. Right. And so salvation is of the Jews, but he doesn't hide away from the truth for the sake of political correctness. Right. He's he's polite, but he doesn't he doesn't hide it. Revelation is through the Jews. The economy is through the Jews. Salvation really was through the Jews. But then he says. But the hour is coming and it's here. Right. The, in, in modern English, the time is coming. Actually, we're in it. The time is here. When true worship, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such the Father seek to worship him. I am not going to dwell on spirit and truth, unfortunately, today, because that, that is a, a corpus of, of works to talk about what that means. One of St. Cyril of Alexandria's famous works is called On Spirit and Truth. Um, Amber Krullus from, from my home diocese actually, um, I think, is almost done translating that. Um, for publication, or at least one one of the, the books in it. I'm going to 
come back to it in different places, but I will only dwell on it a little bit right now, um, is that God is spirit um, has multiple meanings in what he's saying right here. Now, I'm not talking about the general meaning of spirit and truth. Part of it, he doesn't mean in terms of God's essence, although we'll come to that in a second. Part of it is saying is that St. John, if you read his epistles too, in 1 John, he'll say God is light and God is love. And he's referring to God's acts. God is giver of life. God is giver of love and is love. So it's both. So in saying God is spirit, this is also partially saying God is spirit giver, like capital S. Okay, that's part of it. The other part of it, though, is that it's one of his attributes. And the reason why I'm choosing to dwell on that aspect, one of his attributes is that he is spirit. Is because modern people today get really mad that God is spirit. For some reason, even though that's simply who he is, right? Because sometimes we're mad at God for not being material. We want him to be flesh and bone. But that's not his nature, right? And so then we get, literally, we're getting mad at God for being who he is. It's actually nonsense, right? And so we find ourselves being those people at the well who are clinging to material death and the law. We want dead water because we can't look beyond the reality of the well and we miss the greater truth. So this is as much a commentary on contemporary culture, I think. Right? What is the anthem of modern day people? If I can't touch it, see it, taste it, feel it, it's not real to me. But that's not God's nature. God's nature is not the touchable, tasteful material. Just like he said earlier on in this gospel, I'm like the wind. I exist, but you can't touch me, taste me, feel me. You can see my effects. But I go where I want. I'm free. I'm, I'm Nivma, I'm breath, right? I'm wind. And yet, what God is saying in this very encounter, I'll become sensible for you. I will answer your five husbands. I will come to you as that, in the senses. You can taste feel and touch me. And we'll see throughout the gospel of John, he says that, touch me, taste me, eat me. I get it. I'll answer your five husbands, but please come from the living water because then you'll know me as I am, literally as I am, the who I am. The real question is coming. Do you believe me who I am? which is the big theme in, 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 in John. So the woman says to him, she's taking it in. She doesn't get angry. The woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Like I, I was taught that. And I, again, I'm going to pause for a second. How often do we assume that the sinner people don't know anything about God? Right? We treat sinners like they're, like, like they're stupid, they're ignorant, and they don't know anything about Jesus or, or Christianity. Right? Like, that's our assumption. When often, often, the deep sinner is the deep lover. And, and, and if I can digress for a second, those battling with lust and adultery, right, which is, which is common, 
often it's because those people struggling with it badly have a very deep capacity of love that they're trying to, to direct at someone or something. And so often these are the people who we judge the most. For some reason, sexual sins are the most taboo. These people, when they direct it back towards God, some are, are, are often become the most deep believers more than, than those of us who didn't struggle with that as much, right? Even if you look at the all the stories of the sinners converted to saints, the adulterous woman, Saint Thais, Saint Paisa, for some reason, all the women saints tend to be always former harlots. I don't know why we're obsessed with only those. There are others, but those ones in particular, right? They're seen as surpassing the ones who even converted them because of their deep capacity for love. And so it's beautiful to me, beautiful to, to me to see that this woman is deep and she's bringing up her Sunday school lessons, if you will, right? She's like, no, I remember from Sunday school that the Messiah, they, they taught us about this Messiah and the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to show us everything, right? But to her, the Messiah is not what the Jews think. The Jews are thinking Messiah, oh yeah, kingdom, we get political power again. To her, that's not it, right? They're waiting for the one who returns as prophet like Moses, right? And she's like, maybe, maybe, maybe you're that guy. Now here is a moment in the gospel of John that if you don't pause, you're gonna miss it. Here's a woman sleeping with some guy. And just for the record, Ritual law, culturally, she was only supposed to be allowed to marry three times. So she's the messed up of the messed up that she not only got married more than three, five, but that now she's sleeping around. She's arguing with the Lord. She's covered in sin. And she's asking the Lord these religious questions. And who is the first one in the Gospel of John that the Lord reveals his identity to? Before the disciples, this woman. Because he says to her, the one, if I can transliterate this to what it reads in Greek, because it's lost, I think, in the English translation. I, I, the one who speaks to you, am I am. Mic drop. This is mind-blowing. God, God has now said, do you know when this happened last in history? Who are you? Moses. Moses says, tell me, Lord, who, am, who are you? Who do I tell the people that you are? And, the God, and God says to him, I am. That is who I am. And just as Moses goes back to his people and says that I am, revealed himself to me, and that became the holy name of God, Yahweh, right? God just did that again in time and just did it to the Samaritan woman and said, I will tell you who I am. It is I am. And just like Moses goes running back to this people, the Samaritan woman as a new Moses goes running back to her people, and how appropriate, because she lives off of the law. How appropriate that she is of the descendants of Moses and they only have the Pentateuch, right? That God says, I who, am spe I who speaks to you am I am. No one else got that, right? Even the disciples have not had these conversations with the Lord yet. 
That's how differently God views the sinner than we do. God knows the hearts of men. God knows with whom he speaks. And God is ready and willing and wanting to reveal himself to everybody who comes to seek him, no matter who they are. Right? So just as he drops this bomb, right, where, as we see later in the gospel, his saying that among Jews results in pick up stones, let's kill him. This is blasphemy, right? Her reaction is not that because she's looking for truth. Enter stage left, here come the disciples. And where are the disciples at? This woman in the last like 10 minutes of conversation, I'm sorry, I've taken a whole hour of this conversation, but for them it was only 10. If that, the disciples are more in the world of the well than the Samaritan woman. Because they come and they're, they marvel, they're, they're in shock that he's talking with the woman, right? And so that whole world comes rushing back of like, whoa, 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 right? What is going on here? But they are too shy, it says, to be like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to her? And it's beautiful that this is written to be like, that is what they wanted to say. Right to also see the humanity of the disciples, right? Where what they wanted to say was, yo, 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 what, what, yo, check it. Like, what's he doing? Um, some somebody tell him that's not okay, right? Um, but as usual, where do their minds go? Social customs, aib, inappropriate, bad, wrong, right? That's where they're going. They're ignoring that somebody's life just got turned upside down because they care more about their custom. Okay, how often do we dismiss holy people because we obsess over social customs, right? Abuna felt Oz, God repose his soul. He used to ask people for money. That's aib. You don't ask for money, number one. Two, or inappropriate. A monk shouldn't ask for money. You took a vow of poverty, right? And so I, I met people alive who were like, oh, I was just like, no, 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 no. This guy is clearly messed up. When people would say saint, they'd be like, not saint. He asked for money. I saw it with my own eyes. The social custom blinded them to the possibility of any good that was in him that he was actually taking all that money and giving it away. Right? So be careful, right? Or where some kid shows up at church that hasn't forever and they say something deep and we're all like, no, 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 Habibi, right? Because our assumption is sinner, moron, religiously ignorant, right? That we've got to be careful if we're being blinded by our, 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 our rituals, our cultural customs, our, our judgments. Here's one of the, I think is one of the most beautiful lines in the chapter. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's one of the readings of repentance during Lent. And so the woman left her water jar. She's left the law, as Origen would say. She's left behind the law. She's redeemed now by the spirit, right? She's entered now into the world of the is, not of becoming, as we've been talking about. She's being initiated to it. She's not fully there, but she has said, I'm willing to believe. I'm going to try this out. Let me leave it here. She came here because she wanted water, but she left it. 
right? It doesn't make sense for her to leave it, but she's left it. It's not an accident that she's left her water jar and goes back to the city. She confronts her shame. She's now going straight to the people she's been avoiding by going to the well and saying, I need to tell you about a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Her testimony, her martyria, was to say what the Lord had done with her. How very opposite of us today. Today, we don't like that. We don't like people talking about things that the Lord did. We like science, rationalization. I'm a scientist, get it, okay? But my point is that we want the answer to the central question to be sensual, and we're close to it being the spirit. She didn't come back with her water jar. She came back with a testimony of the Lord who told me. All the Old Testament had names of the Lord who X, the Lord who Y, the Lord who Z, right? And this is what she did. From one, uh, Tony, go ahead. Thanks, man. Um, I just had one of the questions. When it, when it came to the point when Jesus went against like sort of the customs, as you said before, that everyone else was was used to, he knew that the, he knew at the, at a point he knew that the Pharisees would uh, would question him. But he did it so, so that his like so was his intention like did he do it because so that like his intention was like to answer and teach, or to actually go against like sort of the customs for the greater good in his eyes, sort of as he did for the Samaritan woman. So he's putting the customs back in their place, right? Because the Lord didn't sin. He didn't do something that was objectively wrong. But he was showing them, you've made up rules that are not my rules. And he's willing to follow them as long as people know that they serve a different purpose, right? So for example, God did give a commandment to honor the Sabbath. How to honor the Sabbath, they made up, which we're going to see literally in the next Bible study in John 5. And so he's like, no, your rules are second to absolute truth. My goal is not the law. My goal is you. So don't put this above the law. It would be almost like in modern times of saying we have rituals in church. For example, um, you enter the sanctuary with your right foot, not your left. You don't give your back to the altar. Right now, let's say some kid who hasn't been to church in 15 years, this is the first time comes back into church and we start screaming at him of like, you gave your back to the altar, you sinner. Don't you even know? Right. And the kid's like, holy cow, like, I'm not coming. I'm sorry. Apparently I offended God by turning around. Right now, God wasn't saying you morons who give your you don't give your back to the altar. No, he's like, OK, no, there's a nice ritual in that. No problem. But you made up that rule in the name of showing me respect. The human comes first. So that's what, what Christ was doing with those, with those rituals and laws. So she leaves the dead water. Now, just to, to recap, the Lord didn't say yes to are you greater than our father Jacob. Instead, he reveals his name. He says, I am. Right? And so God is worshipped in spirit and truth. He's saying the temple is not the issue because the obsession of the Jews was the temple. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I think we have the same problem today. I think that we obsess over the building. It's not wrong to have a building, but we're obsessed with the building. 
everything is about the building, right? Um, and we're going to get to that. In, I'm going to talk about it more in John 7 through 10, so I'm not going to dwell on that here, but I'm just going to lay the roots um, of that. Um, and so the Lord had this Q&A session with Samaritan woman, just like he had the Q&A session with, with Nicodemus. She leaves the dead water. She leaves the material. She leaves death. She wants the living water. Meanwhile, the disciples, bah, I know that it's been an hour at this point of talking, so anybody who wants to go, feel free. Um, I started a little bit late, but I, like, I just don't want anyone to feel guilty if they do. Meanwhile, the disciples begged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. They're all about the body, right? Um, but in fairness, the Lord even arrived there exhausted, right? So now it's time to pamper the Lord. And the Lord, I, it almost seems like he's having this happy moment at what's happened, right? And he's like, I've had food to eat that you don't know. Right. It's almost like this, this silent, this quiet joy, right, at the encounter that he just had with this woman that he went all the way to meet. And the disciples, because they they're 100 percent with the jars still. Right. And they they look at each other and like, so uh, anybody bring them food. Right. And I love these moments of the disciples where they're real, where they're not pretending to get it. They're just like, what is he talking about? Um, they're like, well, if he ate, why did we go buying food, right? And so they're they're trying to figure this thing out. Um, and then the Lord just goes, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And these are very Joanine descriptions of the Lord's ministry. Right in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they'll use the expression to do the will of God. But in John, it's it's God's food. It's 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 the source of living because I come from the world of is into this world, and that my source, that our your way of eating, is to live as God. That's why, for example, it's, it's similar to when God said, "Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God." And a word can mean will, desire, commandment. Right. And he's saying, that's how I live. So then the Lord uses an expression that I never like it's, it was always a little bit awkward because he turns out and says something that we're just like, huh? Where he says, don't you guys say. There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Right. And so to us in modern times, it's like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, and it seems like there was this like saying that they had or that the disciples on the way might have commented that harvest was only a few months away. So the Lord is referring to something in their, in their conversation from before, something that, that was going on. And so he's like, yeah, remember how you were saying like four, four months and harvest is coming? It's not four months, guys. I'm telling you, look and look at how the fields are ready for harvest. And he's saying, don't look centrally. These people, these Samaritans, they're the harvest right? These are the guys that I'm here for. And especially if you can look at this map, they're near the water, very, very near very limited water for that matter in that region, right? Where they can visibly see this is where the harvest is, is, is going to come. So the harvest are now the Samaritans coming. The disciples are hung up on material and these so-called men of God are not the ones who have arrived at truth before this woman has. Um, I'm going to skip the rest of the commentary that I had prepped because I've gone for a while. Forgive me. Peter, go ahead. 
So I was just going to say, maybe he says it also in response to what he was saying before, that if he was thirsty or seeking, you know, sustenance, Mm. now that he's preached to her and she's gone out into the city, she's kind of quenched his thirst, so to speak, um, of, it's, it's, it's like what that, what that, that, that line from C.S. Lewis where it says, if God needs to need, or God needs us for whatever reason, it's because we need to be needed. So it's when we quench ourselves with his water, we quench his thirst. So like the, goes back to what you're saying about how his will to do the will of his father is his food and his replenishment. And now that she's gone out to, to give other people from this fountain of life that has begun to spring up in her, he's, he's, um, he's received the sustenance. I might even venture to take it further. Thank you, Peter. But I might even venture to take it further because if we draw the parallel between him saying, I thirst at the sixth hour on the cross, the cross was the will of the Father. And so his I thirst is answered by his self-giving of his pouring himself into mortality that he becomes the source of life. And he becomes that living water by doing the Father's will, by being the meat of God. And that, and that that fountain of life literally flows from his side on the cross. Beautiful. Beautiful. And that is a symbol of the spirit. What a beautiful meditation. Yeah. Your boss, Peter. Um, so I'm going to skip the next part. All I'll say is that the people come back, as you know, and I just want to say the testimony of the woman is what brings the whole village. And that it's worthy of note because I wanna, I'm gonna, I wanna give you guys some things to to meditate on. So that's why I'm gonna fast forward here. Um, but when you don't have a spiritual life, which I I I I don't mean you, I mean we. But I think this is the vast majority of Christians today. Forgive me if I sound judgmental. That very few of us actually live the life of the Spirit and actually really have true experience with God then your appeal to non-believers is somehow through the senses. You read all these apologetics. I'm not saying apologetics are wrong. Let me tell you from this book. Okay, well, tell me where the Big Bang come from. Tell me where the primordial go, and we get into all of that stuff. Whereas the most compelling aspect this woman could do to bring her whole people who do not believe in their Messiah or their people, this guy is an infidel, is the testimony of her true experience with God. Because it's real to her, it's not a theory. And because of it, it gives her boldness. And because of it, it lets her speak with conviction. Why? Because she knows experientially that it is true. Ask yourself if you're, you're there. And so these people come running to him. He ends up spending two whole days with them, circling back to, no, he didn't need to go through Samaria. He wanted to go through Samaria. Because if he was in such a rush, he wouldn't stay two days. Right, but he stays there on purpose. Then he goes back to Cana in Galilee, where there's a big shot that works for the king, ask for a miracle. The Lord says, This group of people, unlike the Samaritans, with the woman, I didn't even need to do a miracle. We could just talk. But you people, you need miracles. It's Fabdal. Welcome. Here's your miracle. And then he believes because of the of the miracle. Um, and that's the second sign in the in in in, in the book. Um, so I'm not going to dwell on that just because I, I know I've talked for too long, but I want I, I want to just leave you guys to think about a few a few things. Number one is how do we do mission work? 
our generation is big talk on mission. And mission to most people is about, let me go to the streets, let me give the homeless guy a sandwich and pat myself on the back, right? It's, I'm gonna go to Africa because apparently only Africa needs service and no one else does. Um, I'm not trashing going to Africa for service, but I mean, we like these dramatic things, right? Either that or we wanna get into med school. But the, the, the mission is simply proclaiming the truth. And, and if I know that truth to be real, that's why God says, do you believe me? Do you trust me? If so, go tell them. Proclaim to the people that the kingdom of heaven is here and now is, right? Which is what he says in part of the part that, that I skipped, right? The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. Do you believe me? Do you believe that I'm who I claim that? Do you know that I'm I am? Do you believe this? That's your proclamation. Is our mission that? Are we true to that mission in everything that we do? Because when that conviction hits you, this woman walks away from a really, really addictive lifestyle. But the truth liberates her from death. The truth liberates her from the senses, right? The truth is what allows her to be able to say, I want living water. I'm leaving my pot behind. And you could substitute that with real pot today, for example. Okay? She walks away. But it gives her that boldness. Now, when you find out that something is true, do you let it change you or do you say that's really nice and it ends there but if the truth is true can you keep doing what you do this woman had the courage to say i can't like i can't i can't go back to do as i was doing as much as i want it i can't do you worship in spirit and in truth or do you focus on bodily aspects? Think about it. What are the contents of your prayers if you pray? Are they mostly material? Um, what are the occupations of your thoughts? Are they material? What drives your decisions, your conversations, and your boldness? Is it truth or is it materialism? Is it social status? Is it ritual? Is it status? Is it your place in church? Is it whether you're on the board? Is it whether you got this your way? Is it because you want a promotion? What drives you? What, what is your conversation based on? Is the gospel your standard? Because in embracing truth, something really beautiful happened. It's not just the Lord who broke through to the Samaritan woman. She broke through to the Lord. And if she was not willing to embrace that truth, she wouldn't even hear him out, but she did. She allowed the truth to penetrate her heart. She had a willing heart. It's a two-way thing that just happened here. It was synergy, right? She could have refused the dialogue point blank from step one, and she didn't. Our hearts have to be willing to hear the Lord.
You can't just tell the Lord to speak to you. Are you ready to listen and to hear the Lord as well? I want to also mention the Lord comes to us in the place of our refuge, where we're refugees. Even the most uncomfortable places. God is with you. God is Emmanuel, even while you are sinning. He is with you in the place of your shame. He is with you when you are humiliated and scorned and going at noon to the well because nobody respects you. Even when you're the cause of that, he still goes and he's still present and he's still with you. The well was her place of shame, but the well became the place of confrontation between her lifestyle and the truth. And the place of her shame ended up becoming the place of her conversion. And because she confronted her shame head on, she wasn't afraid of it. She's, not, she's no longer like, let's not talk about that chapter of my life. No, she's, she's more than happy. She's like, yeah, I was the one who did that. That was me. Right? And now it gives her boldness rather than shame. And the Lord didn't denigrate the law. He explained the spirit. Right? He didn't denigrate the law. That's why elsewhere when we talk about won't you scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, he says all those things, but he ends it with a very clear, but these things you ought to have done. I'm not against the law. You just, you left this part undone the spirit, the truth, the law, and spirit. Um, and the Lord also didn't hold over her head her sin. He found something worthy of praise, right? Do we, do we look for those things in others? Or are we looking to just criticize everything and everyone all the time? When something goes right, it happens all the time. Something will go right. Somebody will have been complaining for months. I wish they would just do this. I wish they would just do this. And then it happens and they're like, and then this guy says, and like, you, you just spent six months crying, wanting this, and you got it. And instead of being like, great, he did it. You're like, ah, oh. and now they're doing this. Calm down, like. Can there be something nice, right? Is there anything good, right? Let's, let's look for the good, right? I had a, a father confession once who, I was confessing something that I thought was heinous. And, I'm a, and it was as a priest, right? And I'm expecting this, you're a priest. How can a priest do this? This is wrong. This is blah, 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 blah. And Abuna, and it really impacted me. It was my first year of priesthood. It affected how I do confession. Because Abuna literally goes, good for you. And I was like, sorry, what? Um, and he's like, not the sin part. Like, <laughs> you, you already know it's wrong. You're confessing it. But look at how well you chose to respond to this. Your immediate reaction was, 
one, two, and three. That's excellent. And that's the best solution to pull you out of it quickly, to not live there. Now let's go here, right? And now, next time you have this temptation, you now know, and instead of feeling crushed by what I did wrong, I was filled with hope, with joy, right? With this sense of like, okay, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And he's like, and look at how God in your sin inspired you through the Holy Spirit to now go this way. And I just like, wow, this is, this is beautiful, right? That you're, you're justifying me. You're finding a way to make right in the middle of my shame. He acted as Christ to me, right? This is what we have to do to one another, to our bosses, to our parents, to our children, to our siblings, right? In the service and everything we do. Look for the good. Don't look for the bad, right? And you'll find a cause for joy, right? And then finally, and again, I'm sorry for, for taking so long. I'm going to come back to this point again. The Lord broke every cultural, social, theological, ritual, political, and even geographical barrier to talk to this woman. And he even makes the disciples uncomfortable. That's how much he's looking for and wants us. If you won't come to me, if you are paralyzed, because we're not always paralyzed. That's why we also have the prodigal son. That's why I also have the woman by the pool. Right, And we have the man born blind, there's different scenarios. But when you are paralyzed, the Lord says, just want me and I will come. Right, this is, this is how the Lord outreaches. And this is what we ought to do to one another. Right, don't, don't wait for that. Let us also go to one another, even as our God outreached us. To him be glory, majesty, and praise forever. Amen. Again, I'm so, so sorry. That was an hour 20 straight of talking. Forgive me. Um, any uh, questions, comments, uh, meditations before I go through the, the chat to find any? Um, if any of you have one by mic, feel free to raise your hand and, and, and go for it. Um, there is someone from a, one of our sister churches. No, welcome anytime. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a nice meditation here um, from, from one of you saying, the well is a place where many bridegrooms met their brides in the Bible. Isaac um, met Rebecca, Jacob met Rachel, Moses meets Zipporah, Christ meets the Samaritan woman. That's, that's beautiful. And if we take that further, um, I'll put you on blast. Actually, no, I won't. Um, Fulen. Um, our marriage to Christ is through the Spirit. So in, indeed, like to take it just one step further than what you're saying, yeah, our marriage occurs at the well. And that's why our marriage to Christ, our marriage vows, our covenant, becomes at the living water, the fountain that's springing, which is the font of baptism. Right? Where we receive the Holy Spirit and we become wedded to um, our, our groom. That's beautiful. Thanks to guys. Um, God willing, Peter. Um, another thing that you can 
also add to that is um, that, I don't know how accurate this is, but I mean, I was reading, and I think it kind of makes sense, that there's already an undertone of barrenness in the Samaritan woman when she comes with five husbands. And the man she's with now is it's not even her husband. So she's been with six men. And like within even, I'm sure, Samaritan society or within that ancient Jewish, you know, loosely Jewish society, to, to, to have that many marriages or divorces was not easy, except for one exception was given when the Sadducees went to Christ and said, a woman, uh, the, the wife of a man could not bear him a son. When he died, she married his brother and so on and so forth with the seven husbands. And then they all died. So whose husband will she be or whose wife will she be in the in the resurrection? So there's already like a law that allow, I think it was called leveret marriage or something, where if you don't bear children, you are allowed to marry several husbands. Because in that society, it'd be hard to imagine how a woman with that much history could still manage to keep marrying if she was having kids or whatever. So there seems to be some kind of implicit um, understanding of barrenness as well in these five husbands. She's barren. She, she's not producing life. So there's a lot of symbolism going on, like that's kind of hard to see in our context, but that she's coming with like, she's parched, you know, she has nothing to give. She's not offering anything. And she, he asked for water and she has nothing really to give him. But then in the end, he's the seventh husband, the complete husband, the seventh out of the six, after the six that she's been with. And as the wife, when he says woman, she now becomes a fountain of living water. He transforms her barrenness into one of fecundity and, and ability to, to produce life in others as well. So uh, the, the whole marriage thing too. And when she says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? Like, it's, it's very clear that John is trying to make um, parallels with marriage because, again, Jacob met his wife at a well or was in relation to a well. And um, in that way, in that way, you can also see, like, in, in John 2, there's this, this kind of implicit romance that's going on throughout John where, you know, at the wedding at Can of Galilee, there's a wedding. And then, again, there's a woman. And then... You see it again in John 3, um, where John the Baptist, or sorry, John 4, where John the Baptist says, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. So there's, a, I think, a lot going on there with, um, with the whole marriage concept. It's just some cool stuff I read that I wanted to share. That's beautiful. Thank you for that, Peter. That was really nice. Yeah. Tony. First, I want to say that Peter killed that. <laughs> that was actually really cool. I, yeah, I also want. I also want to say that. Um, I feel like another way we could look at, you know, sort of the meaning of the well is like, um, if we look at our 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 fathers, like the great monks, for instance, and for instance, Saint John the Short, or all like the other monks who like sort of sent their disciples to a well. And you can think about, I, I guess you could think about this as meditation, but you could think of it as like them sending their disciples to go to that well so that in a way they could meet God, you know, in the, in the same way that sort of the Samaritan woman went to the well and she met God. Mm -hmm. And if we look about it 
one of the ways that you're technically meeting God more than the way that you're actually like face to face seeing him is had to in the in the paradise of the father is you see them all like sort of go back correlate to like towards the, like the important lessons of like obedience so i, I don't know it's just it's, i just find it as a really cool meditation that like you know by by meeting god you're also like it's meeting god more than one way in that um when we look at the stories of the saints who have who have all traveled you know to wells so they could get you know their fathers something to, to drink because you know they thirst it's it's like them going and actually meeting god and learning god so that so then to their disciples they're like you know when, when they say that you know uh go to the well like i went to the well and like i truly met god it's just by them by saying another way of saying for instance you know by going to the well you're showing obedience which if you could think of it as another way where you're sort of meeting god you're being like you're being obedient you know so beautiful imagery it's tony peter go ahead hey Buna, i just had a question oh, go ahead um i was just wondering why is it always that um whenever the samaritan woman is talked about in not not every priest talks about her in that manner but she's always portrayed as a sinner does it actually mention anywhere in the bible that she is a sinner like yeah because to them she's living in the state of sin because she's she's not married and she's living with a guy right and so to them like like one of the things that christ was correcting was that people tended to view sin only by outward acts not inward acts so to them it was for example if you had a lustful thought no one cared you were fine you're only a sinner the one who does sin if you go sleep with someone right and so the lord goes a long ways to correct that that's why like if you even think it you sin but the reason why she's referred to as the sinner woman is because she was living with some guy Right, which was clearly against um, the morality of the of the law of God, um, which I, I should add. We keep on calling her the woman. Um, tradition tells us her name is Fotini, uh, Saint Fotini. Yeah. So the woman has a has a name, but I think that's why Peter. Yeah, because I, I I'm not sure if this was mentioned earlier or I joined late. Sorry, I wasn't aware this was going on. No, so, no, no. Uh, um, I just was wondering if perhaps there's something that we know from tradition that says um, what her actual circumstance was. Was it that something caused her to have to get married this many times or to be with someone that she's not married to that's like outside of her hand or kind of thing? I don't know. Right. No, it's mostly, it's mostly about her, her, her sexual deviations, if you will like compared to the cultural norms of the time and because the lord didn't let them in general whether they're samaritan or jew it wasn't allowed that people just live with somebody else they would need to get married so it was, it was bold so we know for for a fact from her story um that we have from tradition that she actually 
was living in sin. Well, that's what the Lord says to her, right? The Lord says to her, the one, when he says, go get your husband, she says, I don't have one. And then he responds saying, you're right. You've had five. And the one you are with right now isn't actually your husband. And that you've spoken truly. So it got pulled. It was the meeting was 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 implied there. Um, and then everyone's interpretations from it from as early as it goes back, it was all as a given like that it's referring to that in particular. But Christ didn't didn't care to stress that point because he didn't he's not guilt tripping her. He's just there to basically bridge the gap and he's, no, he's there, there to heal her. To yeah, that's what I mean. Like to yeah. he's he's he he made it all the way there just for her, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. No, that's that's perfect. Thanks. That's our God. Yeah. Tony. <laughs> I just realized my hand was still up. I didn't put it down. But <laughs> I guess I could I, I could also um if you don't mind me saying uh Buna, um uh, there there were a lot of like really good books on like interpretations of like the new testament to the old testament especially ones like that like more specified by the forefathers i'm i'm not sure which ones were which i'd probably have to go back but there were actually a lot of them that um i don't know i just thought were really cool that would, that would share that like literally talked about like what god did in the new testament for instance in in each of the weeks for instance, in Great Lent, that actually like in somehow correlated back towards the Old Testament as their own, you know, as their own uh, sort of meditations. Like for instance, um, the woman who is going to be stoned, and then Jesus um, ended up he, he like what he did was like he went on the ground and started writing, and then he asked them like he, he then started talking to the people, which then I noticed in in, in those books they they. Uh, they they actually correlated back towards the Old Testament, how um, it was some somewhere I, I don't know if it was it's somewhere in the Old Testament that that talked about um, that talked about God or someone using uh, writing down the finger on the ground writing sorry writing <laughs> on the ground with his finger, um, and it also talked about like the way. The, the way that God specified himself at the Old Testament, which was I am, I am, which is I am, which was like translated like Yahweh. And then how sort of God, you know, I because uh, this is a beautiful thing about the Old Testament was the way he warmed up <laughs> to saying I am God. Like he he gave so much and it 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 until this day, it confuses me how like, you know, how hard-headed, hard-headed the Pharisees were. Yeah, man. But yeah. I've actually put a book in the chat um, that I, I think is a very good one um, that does a lot of the linking of culture, tradition, history, prophecies between um, the Gospels and, and actually the whole New Testament and, and the Old Testament too, if you're interested. To me, to me, Besha. Samabuna, how you doing? Hello. <laughs> uh, I appreciate uh, I really loved your talk by the way I thought it was really awesome I'm just going to start out by saying that um, so it's more of a comment that I have it's a little off topic but it's it's on the same on the same direction I guess so 
there's a show it's called the chosen and um i don't know if you've heard of it or anything but it's um a story about how jesus it's about his life how he met his disciples and there was this and there is an episode where he does meet the samaritan woman and like you talked about i think i think that show did a really amazing job displaying how jesus broke those traditional geographical cultural traditions by going and speaking to her and um you know i i think i would really encourage everybody to go check it out um it's very beautiful i watch it with my family um whenever there's a new episode coming out i just i think it's really awesome and it's exactly like after hearing you talk about it after i've already watched it just connecting everything i thought it was it's very nice it's very nice I'll binge watch with you. I'll binge watch you with after Easter. It's awesome. It's awesome. I would really love for you to check it out. It's super cool. You're the third it's person cool. this week. I haven't started yet. So after after the feast, I'm down for like a, a binge session. That would be awesome. It's it's great. I'd really recommend it. Hey, Buna, yo, absolve me real quick. But uh, I actually found it. <laughs> I found it. Uh, the <laughs> the passage I was referring to because when God um when they were about to stone the woman and then they wrote on uh he, he ended up writing on the on, on the floor he they said that the forefather said that he actually wrote in the book of jeremiah because we know how it said oh lord the hope of israel all who forsake you shall be ashamed those who depart from me shall be uh shall be written in the earth and then he asked and like when jesus went, went and asked the question if you guys haven't like sinned as much you know um I don't remember what it was exactly, but then they, they all just ended up departing. Yeah. They all just left him completely. Hey, I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. It's awesome, man. Absolve me, yo. Nothing to absolve. There was no sin in that. All right. Let us pray, and then we can all resound. Uh, Thank you guys for your patience tonight. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us worthy to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not temptation, but some evil one in Christ you said, Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Love of God the Father, grace and God's Son, the communion, give to us with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Later, guys. Thank you guys for your patience today. Thank you, Buna. Thank yeah. you very much.